Hello, and welcome to Ipsy Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Lu Nguyen, a college student and co-founder of the Oberlin Policy Research Institute, an undergraduate public policy research organization based at Oberlin College. My guest today is Nizan Pakin, assistant professor of law at Baruch College, Zicklin School of Business, and affiliated faculty member of Indiana University Bloomington Program on Governance of the Internet and Cybersecurity. We will discuss her article, RegTech Compliance and Technology Judgment Rule, published in the Chicago Kent Law Review. Welcome, Professor Packin. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's go over why did you write this paper and what's the main crux of your argument within this paper? Um, so in recent years, there has been a lot of attention uh, focused on uh, regulatory technology, which is essentially is a subcategory of um, regulatory compliance. And uh, what it means is for companies or corporations or institutions to not just comply with rules or with standards of, or of law or certain types of policies, but to do so with the use of technology. And I felt like technology um, was extremely helpful and RegTech was getting a lot of attention, but I wanted to point out that while it has a lot of benefits, it has certain weaknesses and we should all be aware of those and, and kind of try to make the best out of RegTech while acknowledging um, what is less efficient or useful in, in that technology. So what particularly is RegTech and what does it look like? Um, so in the field of um, financial technology companies, we basically have two types of um, institutions or, or businesses operating. The first category is the one we more typically think of when we think about fintech companies, and that's more the disruptors, the companies that are innovating and are creating uh, new financial service um, technologies and, and features. And that's the first category. The second category is more of a uh, facilitators type of, of uh, companies, companies that help with the upkeep or the maintenance of certain infrastructures or technologies um, operating within that you know space of financial services, increasing efficiency in helping with monitoring and data analytics. And that's more where you find the regulatory technology companies um, operate. Uh, in that, you know, second category. And so what they basically help do in our very technology-driven era is manage um, regulatory compliance uh, issues or, or matters by basically helping companies that need to, to comply with the law achieve their efforts by using uh, all sorts of new innovative uh, technologies and, and digital tools. So what particularly is uh, the landscape which that which companies are using regtech to uh, what's the legislative landscape that uh, companies might seek to use regtech to uh, enhance compliance um, so it is is a very broad um, spectrum so basically companies whether they're the more disruptors or just more traditional types of financial 
service providers use, um, you know, reg tech uh, facilitators or reg tech companies to do all sorts of things, whether it's to automate corporate governance and compliance processes, whether it's to improve their risk management, whether it is to um, uh, internally uh, get more, you know, efficient results, whether it's to automate services that they offer, such as robo-advising or wealth management types of services. Uh, It could be to keep them up to date with the latest regulatory changes. Um, They could just implement all sorts of automated services to minimize the likelihood of human errors, uh, increase overall governance processes, or just basically um, use new or more efficient cybersecurity tools or management features. So a lot of different options. Recently, uh, banks have even used RegTech technology uh, as they figure out their capital allocation for their stress tests in order to sort of maximize their profits while, you know, still obviously staying, in, you know, within the boundaries of, of compliance with the law. So a lot of different um, things that the RegTech tools have been helping um, companies, you know, uh, improve and, and sort of help solve industry needs. In. So within the uh, financial industry, there is uh, FinTech. Can you tell me about what FinTech is and how it developed? So uh, so the, the first type that I was referring to before, the more hardcore, you know, type of FinTech companies, the ones we kind of think about when we think about uh, FinTech are the disruptors. And as I mentioned, those are companies that basically uh, innovate in terms of the financial services that they offer. And they're the more disruptors uh, type of, of businesses that we see operating in financial services. And many of them are, are essentially, uh, their goal is to offer financial services without being a bank. So the fact that they're non-banks essentially means that they're institutions or companies that provide any type of banking services, but they're not a bank. So they do not have the legal status of a bank or they do not, do not have the full banking license. And what these companies do is they pretty much offer everything and anything um, that you would think is a financial service that traditionally or historically a bank could have offered. So it could be, you know, facilitating payments or, um, you know, giving credit. So we see a lot of alternative credit uh, providers Um it could be uh, in all sorts of loans. It could be uh, innovation in terms of um, wealth management or financial advising. Again, going back to the robo-advisor type of, of businesses uh, like Betterment or um, all the new other companies that have been uh, offering these types of services after the financial crisis since 2008. And there are a lot of different types of, um, it could be crypto you know, currencies or all sorts of other um, blockchain-based uh, financial services, and uh, we we see you know these fintech companies, these non-bank uh, you know f- financial service providers um, offering services all over the world. So obviously not just in the U.S., um, but uh, a lot of times uh, international services as well all over the world. So how are these non-bank uh, financial companies regulated and how should they be regulated? 
Uh, so that's the million dollar question that uh, people have been talking about in, in the recent decade or so. And the, the main issue to keep in mind is really that the reason they're non-banks is that they wanted to avoid um, having the legal status of a bank, which means all the you know regulatory requirements that you know come along with that you know status. And so, obviously, uh, you know they are regulated because uh, to some extent. In, in various ways, which I'll mention in, 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 a, in a couple of seconds. But the main thing is that they're not regulated like banks. And so um, it is an advantage in, in certain ways, but obviously uh, can pose certain types of risks and uh, those should be kept in mind. And so um, we see that different, comp- different uh, countries around the world have uh, tried to kind of figure out different ways to, to regulate or monitor the the business that um, financial technology companies are offering. So uh, in in many countries, we have initiatives um, that enable them to kind of experiment. Uh, those are referred to the sandbox, uh, sandboxes where uh, the, regu- the regulators are working with them to kind of try and help them innovate while also monitoring and, and making sure that um, consumer protection and prudential uh, regulation goals are kept. Uh, we also see a lot of, uh, in the U.S., state, state by state, regulation depending on the type of financial service that they're offering uh, there are certain you know federal um, you know nationwide uh, laws that require financial technology companies to, to comply with um, such as you know issues relating to the equal um, and fairness grant of, of credit and, and loans and um, certain initiatives are being proposed now certainly in states but also being discussed in the federal level about cybersecurity. and so while they're not regulated as banks there are all sorts of regulations and initiatives to uh, further regulate or um, monitor these financial technology service providers so can you dive in a little more into what the particular goals of financial regulation within this sector uh are what the particular incentives that uh, regulators and legislators want to put on these companies looks like? Um, sure. So, in in terms of financial regulation, there are really you know two main big goals that we're you know kind of concerned about and and want to um, make sure we are uh, protecting. And the first is. Uh, consumer protection. The second one is the safety of the entire system, the systemic risk and, and you know, prudential regulation. And so in terms of consumer protection, we want to make sure that, um, and that's certainly a risk in uh, the context of the financial technology service providers as well. We want to make sure that consumers are protected. There is a lot of asymmetry in terms of uh, what the average person uh, knows or has access to in terms of data and part of the consumer protection regulation is meant to overcome this, you know, asymmetry, uh, this informational asymmetry. And and so we want to make sure that investors are protected and that consumers' rights are, are protected and um, that, you know, consumers' funds are, are uh, protected to a certain extent at least and that they're aware of certain risks and uh, what the possibilities might be when they engage or do business with um, alternative or, or new uh, financial service providers or disruptors. So that's one thing. Um, 
And then the second thing that we need to be aware of is obviously the you know safety and the soundness of the entire system. And so while in the first few years, the uh, magnitude of the financial technology service providers was smaller, as you know, this becomes a bigger uh, part of the financial service pie, uh, these, you know, these um, non-banks and their activity, we want to make sure that you know, the, the system itself is still uh, safe and, and protect the soundness. And so we want to make sure that there is no new systemic risk and um, that the overall, the aggregated uh, financial activity is, um, is monitored and in, in, in a desired uh, good condition, so to speak. So how do regulatory technologies help achieve these uh, policy and legislative goals? So uh, RegTech is is very helpful, not just for the companies themselves, the private sector companies that are using uh, the different tools and features to solve industry needs in a more effective and efficient way. They're also helping the regulators because we live in a very um, information and data uh, based era. And so what this means is that the regulators themselves are also swamped with information and um, need to act in a more efficient and cost-effective way as they analyze and monitor and and uh, ensure correct compliance. And so uh, the advantages are not just for the corporate governance or the risk management uh, private sector side of things, but also to help regulators uh, better manage the increased volume of information and uh make sure that they're monitoring and evaluating everything they see more, more efficiently. So it is very helpful for them. Um, so, you know, regulars use some of the very same tools to increase their efficiency. Uh, they automate processes as well. And they run data analytics and examine the information and have more access to information and can interpret results better. And what are the particular negatives and hindrances that financial technologies can pose to these policy and legislative goals? Um, so as I mentioned, obviously, RegTech has a lot of advantages and it could be a great tool uh, and, and very efficient as well. However, there are certain things that I don't know if they're you know, disadvantages, but certainly things that we need to keep in mind and uh, figure out better ways to to address these uh, difficulties or challenges. And uh, those include first the fact that, you know, reg tech tools cannot on their own eliminate undesired or unethical business practices. So uh, if we are aware of certain undesired or unethical business practices in the financial sector, in the financial industry, we cannot rely on technology itself to be used to, to sort of address or, or eliminate those issues. And on the con- uh, furthermore, actually, technology can even be used to better evade certain regulatory requirements. And this is a thing some people refer to as anti-reg, because once you, as the private sector company, use technology to reach the most efficient results to maximize your profit, you might be on the very, very edge of almost evading the regulatory requirements or um, 
almost not complying. So just complying, just you know, passing the very bare minimum requirements. So that is something to be in, to keep in mind. Um, another thing is that technology can obviously hinder good judgment and human input in risk management, because in recent years there has been a lot of discussion about how uh, technology, and in particular reg tech algorithms and tools are in some ways black boxes that we don't fully understand and cannot uh, cannot fully control, certainly if we're talking about machine learning algorithms and uh, sophisticated uh, programming that uh, constantly improves and, and evolves and tries to, uh, to reach more ef- effective, efficient uh, results. And so this is something that we need to be mindful of as well. Another thing is that reg tech uh, tools are often used via third parties and that introduces new risks. Um, so partnering with third party vendors is something that is very useful in, in many ways, but, uh, those third parties might not be familiar with the same level of risks and dangers. And, uh, if much of the work and risks are outsourced to these third parties uh, at the end of the day, then the financial service companies are, are not dealing with it directly. And that is something that can cause more or different types of uh, risk. And another thing is that uh, initially people were very excited about big tech tools, lowering uh, costs and because of the automation, making things more financially efficient. And, and that is not necessarily the case because as automation and efficiency uh, gains um, were, were in fact uh, present, at the same time they are offset by the rising regulatory requirements uh, costs, which are the result of the regulators also using these tools and want more and can demand more data or interpretation or uh, results because they are also aware of these very same tools. And last but not least, uh, there are certain barriers that are r- relevant uh, mentioning when we discuss um, reg tech adoption. Uh, obviously, in order to adopt proper reg tech tools, you need more money, you need access to data, you need talent. Um, manpower and human resources are working very hard to recruit the best, most talented um, individuals. And so it's not obvious that uh, everyone and anyone can easily uh, overcome these barriers as they adopt direct tech tools. Can you talk a little more about the particular barriers that exist towards the implementation and adoption of these technologies? Uh, so, so again, it's really many of these issues that uh, we need to find the best people, and that's not so easy to do. And uh, in order to get that talented manpower and, and these people, you need to obviously pay them higher salaries and, and you need to get that talent. And in addition, um, you know, RegTech includes financial resources. You need you need to invest a lot of money in these systems, uh, which are cutting edge and and new. And in addition, you need the data and you need the information and you need to be able to work with it and and get that access is not always that easy as well. And so that's another hurdle. Uh, if you don't have that information, you can't process or or do or achieve certain goals that you might 
want to you know achieve. So you talked a little bit earlier about anti-wag tech. What particular role does corporate cultures that seek to evade or go right up to the line of these regulations play into the challenges that reg tech faces today? Uh, so, so basically, you know, technology can be used for good, and that's that's our hope. But it can also be used by businesses to sort of avoid or frustrate regulators' uh, intentions. And that's what I, I meant. That's the phenomenon that I refer to as the anti-reg tech. And f- so, for example, I, I, I mentioned earlier, one recent example could be that banks that are, you know, seeking to automate um, the calculation of the precise, cap- precise capital allocation they're required to have in order to pass government's stress tests. So obviously, you know, these banks, you know, want to pass these stress tests while maximizing their returns. And in in some respects, that it could be a little bit concerning because the banks are under pressure to manage their capital and liquidity more effectively, um, and they definitely don't want to hold additional capital if they can determine via reg tech tools what the exact minimum required capital level or magic number should be, because uh, that would impact their profitability and net margins. But as we know, as, to be one of the 2008 crisis lessons is that we need to be extra careful with, with these things. And the Federal Reserve constantly checks and, and carefully assesses what the biggest banks, um, where the biggest banks need to be in terms of um, operating in, in order to avoid uh, finding themselves in the, in the riskier zone. And so while obviously reg tech tools are great, if uh, used incorrectly to reach the most efficient profit maximizing uh, point, it could also almost frustrate the purposes of the regulators to uh, to find if they are meeting the stress test requirements and to make sure that uh, the system is is in a uh, relatively good state and and so this is something that you know we need to be mindful of obviously magic numbers are great but uh, sometimes it's not as easy as, as hitting the one number that an algorithm spit out. And that is an absolute answer because we know algorithms are not science. There is no uh, one magic formula. Two plus two doesn't um, always equal four when you look at different algorithms. Well, in reality, two plus two is always four. So it's it's hard because you want to use technology to do good things, but you need to be mindful of the fact that we don't want to use it to almost frustrate regulatory goals. And in your opinion, why does all of this matter? So obviously in our world today, we're relying more and more on algorithms and technology. We outsource more and more uh, to technology, even passively outsource at times. We sort of, you know, would rather have an automated decision-making process deal uh, with that decision for us and it's easier to automate and obviously sometimes cheaper and more efficient, usually cheaper and more efficient. And so, you know, Rectic has a crucial role in our, in our technology driven era, but we, while we can definitely benefit from it and it's one of the only 
answers to the risks and challenges that we currently have in our financial industry. I think that, you know, we need to be aware of the risks and carefully, you know, design our technology and our reliance on technology. And we need to figure out ways for the, you know, regulators and the private sector to, to use it efficiently, but also not blindly rely on it and uh, assume that it's the answer to all corporate governance challenges. It can solve many, many challenges and, and address many issues, but it can't solve everything. And as a final question, what do you think that companies, regulators, and policymakers should be taking away from your paper? Um, so I think exactly that, that, you know, we need certain shifts in corporate thinking to acknowledge that we, we just simply cannot blindly outsource all government, all governance and risk management issues to technology. We still need to think about these issues uh, rig tech or technology in general is not the all end solution to uh, corporate governance issues, risk management uh, matters. We need to still think about these issues. We need to be aware of the potential risks and try to constantly improve and make our processes more efficient. All right. Well, thank you very much, Professor Packen, for coming on the podcast to talk about your work. Thank you for having me again, and uh, it's been a pleasure. The circle, like the network, will kindly pull itself together. Carrie? Present. You were instructed last week to find out the whole truth about those bells. Have you done so? I have. Out with it then, Beetle. Well, okay, Ronnie. Now, look, the uh, bell notes serve as a cue to operators all over the country to switch circuits in order that local stations can give out their call letters, you see? And that has to be done because of regulations for the public good made and enforced by the Federal Communications Commission. I have a copy of that regulation right here, Mr. President. Well, let's hear it, Carrie. I think we ought to get to the bottom of this thing. Okay, Bobby. Licensee of a broadcast station shall announce the call letters and location as frequently as practicable during hours of operation. And in any event before or after each program being broadcast, in no event shall more than 30 minutes elapse between such announcements. And insofar as practicable, these announcements shall be made on the hour and half hour. These requirements are waived when such announcements would interrupt a single consecutive speech, play, symphony concert, or operatic production of longer duration than 30 minutes. And in such cases, the announcement of the call letters and locations shall be made as soon as possible. Why they ring those bells.